Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Therapy Chat Podcast, Episode 357. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. This week's episode is sponsored by Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now, for all you prescribers out there... Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Use coupon code CHAT or click the link in the show notes to get two free months at therapynotes.com. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan, and today I'm very happy to be bringing you the first in a little series of conversations focused on social change, social justice, multiculturalism, liberation. And we're going to have several interesting guests on to speak about those topics, starting with this week's guest, Dr. Rebecca Eldridge. Dr. Eldridge is a licensed psychologist who guides fellow therapists, healthcare professionals, and socially conscious leaders on how to support social justice, navigate courageous conversations, and expand emotional well-being to create compassionate, just spaces for themselves, their teams, and the clients they support. In addition to offering culturally sensitive therapy, Rebecca emphasizes the integration of mental health, compassion, and social justice throughout her work. Over the past 20 years, she has taught multicultural counseling graduate courses, developed and delivered support services for refugees, and facilitated numerous cultural trainings and consultations, while feeling deeply honored by the trust of amazing and diverse clients. And she is going to talk with me today. What you'll hear in our conversation is us discussing the need for therapists to speak up, stand up for what's right, stand up for what we believe in. For example, as a social worker, I am ethically obligated to stand up for social justice and I 
care about it as a personal value as well. So I think it can be confusing for us as clinicians a lot of times to know what we're allowed to say and not allowed to say. Oftentimes we tell each other that we're supposed to keep politics out of therapy and we're not supposed to be biased. But I will say I'm biased in favor of social justice. I hope that you may be inspired by listening to this episode to think about what your values are and where you would like to speak up and speak out in support of what you believe in, whether that's in therapy or how you focus your therapy and the causes that you support in your life outside of being a therapist, if you're a therapist at all. (laughs) As this series continues, we will hear from Xanthia Johnson of the Compassion and Anti-Racism Project, Julia Alexander, Dr. Han Wren. So you'll be hearing more about that in the coming weeks. And as a reminder, before we dive into my conversation today with Dr. Rebecca Eldred, I just want to remind you that if you are looking for a trauma therapist, traumatherapistnetwork.com is a great resource for you. And if you're a therapist, who could use some support while learning and growing together with a little over 100 of your colleagues. You can still join Trauma Therapist Network at the lowest price that it will ever be. I'm going to extend registration longer than what I originally had planned because I had some tech issues and also was not able to share about it as much as I had intended. So I'm going to keep registration open into December 2022. But in 2023, the price will be going up. So if you join now, by joining the waiting list, you can get a discount. Go to go.traumatherapistnetwork.com slash join to join the waiting list. And then we'll send you a link to join and a coupon code to save 20%. And when regular registration opens soon, we'll have a 15% discount for people who join during the regular registration period. So if you want that 20% off, all you have to do is get on that waiting list and then I'll send you the coupon. Okay, that's it for now. So I hope you will enjoy my conversation with Dr. Rebecca Eldridge. Let's dive in. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan, and today I'm so pleased to be speaking with Dr. Rebecca Eldridge. Rebecca, thank you so much for being my guest on Therapy Chat today. Oh, I've been really looking forward to it. Me too. I'm really interested in talking about your work and learning more about what you do and how it can help leaders and helping professionals. But before we really get into it, will you just take a moment to tell our audience a little more about who you are and what you do? I'd be glad to. So I am going to just start out saying I come from a very privileged background. If you think about across the diversity spectrum, I am privileged in just about every aspect of my identity, with the exception perhaps of gender, being female. And so a lot of times people are surprised that I do the work that I do and that I have the passion and the history of focusing on multicultural issues in my work. And it seems like it's chosen me as much as I've chosen it over the years. Just a buildup of amazing, wonderful experiences. But I began wanting to tailor my work in psychology actually in the seventh grade. So I'm one of the very few people that somehow guessed what I was going to want to be when I grew up and that it continued to fit for 
how much I love getting to know, getting to listen and understand different people's experiences and then try to offer support in any challenges that they're feeling internally or externally. And that led me into a graduate program that supported my multicultural focus. And there was this one moment early in my training where I was assigned to work with a client. I'll just give this example because this is such a key moment in describing where I started and how I continue to love my work. I was assigned to work with this client who was a Black woman. And when I invited her to come speak with me, she told me, no, I don't want to. And she was very clear and very direct about it. And as a trainee, I was kind of caught because on the one hand, I knew that as a very light-skinned, very fair, very young, new professional, that there could be many reasons that she did not want to speak with me or feel like I would be able to understand her story. And fortunately, she agreed that we could just step aside for five minutes We stepped into another room. I don't even think we sat down at first, Laura. I think we just stood there because I knew she did not want to be there with me, but she shared just enough to say in general terms that her work was really stressful and that she was having some of these interactions with people. And fortunately, I had great training, great supervision up to that point and heard and knew enough to say that sounds like discrimination how do you experience it? And everything changed in that moment. She let me in. She honored me with the rest of her story and experience. She went on to willingly meet with me for the rest of that hour and an additional time before she left the group program that this was a part of. And she made decisions to to see her own worth more clearly and to honor that and to say no to the way that she was being disrespected and marginalized in her workplace and to take her leadership and her brilliance elsewhere. And that moment, just the feelings of that transformation of being honored when people let me into their stories, into their lives, and being able to really bear witness to the hardships and the injustices that they've experienced as well as their brilliance and everything that they have to offer to the world just has continued to build ever since then. That was, you know, like 20 years ago or so now. And that continues to be the type of work that I do and love doing, whether it's with individuals or organizations of just supporting people who are, who care so deeply and have so much strength to make a difference and yet are also often the people that are carrying the burdens of the injustices that they're trying to change. That is a powerful point that the people often who are out there trying to make change are frequently directly impacted by the same concerns that they're trying to address. Yeah, I hope and I believe that maybe there's a slight shift that we're seeing in that of more people having people that they love and they care about of different backgrounds and starting to take stands on issues, even if it's not a part of their direct identity or experience. And certainly most of the time, what I see is that that people from marginalized groups are carrying the weight of the burden for change. Yes. I mean, we certainly see that in movements like Black Lives Matter, you know, and I think about that so often the toll on activists 
it's exhausting. It is. And it's really creating such a toll, as you said, for the people doing so much work and that have so much to offer, but are constantly getting shut down in the process, either by the responses that they're getting around them or by their own nervous system getting so overwhelmed and overloaded that it just can't keep showing up in the same way. Right. So exactly with a nervous system impact, we who have experienced trauma and most of the causes that people are out there trying to do activism around relate in some way to trauma. Mm -hmm. So having experiences of trauma and then going and trying to make a difference, whether it's direct work with people or it's legislative advocacy or on the streets advocacy, activism, our nervous systems are feeling the impact. It's not something you can just avoid. No, and it's very hard at times to really shelter and nurture our nervous systems back to safety. It, you know, it can be really challenging when there's triggers that can come from all directions at any time, any conversation. It can be friends, it can be family, it can be clients, co-workers, neighbors. I mean, it, it just right now is so prevalent. I know we were just talking a little while ago about examples of that. And there's such strong divisive stances that have been taken politically that it can just make it really hard to kind of get your balance again before the next thing comes at you. Yeah. It really feels that way. I would say before the pandemic, it, it was feeling like there was a bombardment of both outrageous actions that caused people to feel outraged and a lot of loud conflict everywhere, mm -hmm. you know, in our and in, in so many different fronts in our culture here in the U.S., but it, it's around the world. Right. Yeah, it's, it is. It's international in all sorts of different ways. Some commonalities among the issues and some that are unique to different areas, but it's so widespread. Yeah. So can you say a little bit about how you work with people? What are the, what types of work do you do? Well, I love variety in all parts of my life. So my work is an extension of that as well. I do individual therapy and coaching. I also do speaking and facilitation or trainings, workshops, whether for, you know, organizations or small groups that, that are looking to kind of pursue this integration of wellness and social justice, you know, this bridge between how do we take care of ourselves as we're continuing to try to show up and have our most effective and sustainable impact in the world around us. So I work, I'm so fortunate. I work with such amazing people and organizations who care about their change makers, you know, they're themselves and what's important to them, the values that they hold, the people that they want to show up for or at the organizational level, organizations that really see we have this portion of our staff, of our employees, or that are kind of tasked with, whether it's a diversity committee or a DEI group, you know, that are tasked with bringing about big changes, often against big obstacles and the toll that takes, and wanting to support those people so that they don't lose those people. I mean, we see so many people 
I think I saw that nearly 50%, nearly half of the population of employed people are actively looking or interested in leaving their jobs. And so when you when companies know that's such a high risk at the same time that they're trying to get more diversity representation, if they really mean that beyond just words, then these are some of the key people that they really need to be watching and protecting the well-being of. So I get to work with people across all different levels and layers and people that, that really once when they're taking care of themselves, when they have the opportunity to even learn to feel and understand their emotions in different ways, it just can bring even more of their brilliance into the world. That's wonderful. And one thing I've seen mentioned quite a bit in, in reference to like big corporations and diversity equity and inclusion initiatives is, you know, the person of color being, say, there's one person of color on a team. It's like, you're the DEI lead now. And they're like, really? And also like, I'm the one who's impacted by this and I have to go and teach everyone or like, and then oftentimes, and certainly I hope not in the groups that you're working for, but like, I hear people say it's kind of a lip service effort. You know, they say they want diversity and inclusion and equity, but I told them where the gaps were and I Mm -hmm. created this big plan and they just kind of brushed it aside. And that's like deeply wounding to put that effort in and have it just be kind of dismissed. Yes. I mean, I was talking to somebody who's actually, you know, the chief equity officer for a large organization recently doing amazing work, has a team. He was describing the different elements of the work that they're doing for this organization, just incredible work. And And he was saying like, yes, like who's taking care of this team? You know, he's trying to check in on them. He's more seasoned, been in the field longer. He knows what a toll it takes. And he's seeing people that are relatively new in their careers and noticing they're already kind of looking like, okay, this is hard. And so even in an organization where they have people that are hired specifically to be in these roles, there's still this pushback of maybe some of the leadership wants it and values it, but that might not be the person's direct manager who's saying like, oh, you have to go to another meeting or, oh, this is taking time away from your other work. Like, okay, it's fine. As long as you're still getting just as much done just as quickly as you would if you weren't doing this other, you know, diversity effort or initiative. And so there's this mismatch that really leaves people and a push and pull. And as you said, can be very wounding, re-traumatizing as people experience some of the same rejection that might be repetitive of earlier experiences or ongoing experiences in many cases. Yeah. I felt like when you said, as long as you can get your other work done, I just felt immediately like, oh, but what about the impact, the emotional impact of the mm-hmm. DEI work they're doing? When do they get to recover from that <laughs> before right. they have to do the other work again? You know, right? don't forget right. to give I mean, me that report that was due on Friday. Exactly. Like, you know, okay, like that's fine. It looks good for the company, but make sure your other work isn't slipping. Make sure you're not missing any other meetings. 
And the fact that, you know, for a lot of people, it's not just a job, like it, it's, it's maybe a job and it's also their lived experience. So they don't leave the job and get to turn that part of their work off. Like then they go out into the world where they're continuing to experience the same thing in their interactions. Yeah. So how do you work with people? What types of, well, let me back up. When we were talking before you, we talked about you sort of saying that taking care of your nervous system is basically a social justice imperative. So for people who are doing social justice work, it's not optional to tend to that part of you. But can you talk about that a bit? Yes, absolutely. That's such a core of my work. So, and I say core, and I'm literally picturing, like I have a model for kind of change making and cultural competence that has different layers to it. And this layer is literally like the core, the heart of it, because all of the other layers become less effective or less impactful if you're not taking care of compassion for yourself, compassion for others, that core of the nervous system of how do you sit with your own feelings, your own sensations, how do you create safety for yourself internally, and how do you do that for the intense emotions and experiences of others? And so people often want to skip to an action stage. You know, I want to know what to do. Just tell me what to do, or I'm trying to do this, I'm doing. And yet if it's not kind of grounded in this, being able to recenter, being able to tune into what is this telling me? How is, how is this actually helping me to feel what I'm feeling right now? And I totally get that that's like such a big ask and sometimes so counterintuitive from what people have felt or believed about their emotions and their nervous system before, like where it's more of a battle that's something that they have to escape from or fight back against or try to avoid at all costs because of the fear that it will just capsize them entirely. And instead really viewing that as the lighthouse, as learning to watch for the cues of your emotions in your body as something that can actually help to guide you safely toward what you really care about, toward that impact that you want to have, because you can then arrive with less damage in the process. You know, so many people go into these like start and stop. Like I got to go, I got to do something. I get, you know, like I really have to act on this. I need to make a change. And then before long, completely depleted saying like, I can't look at another news story. I can't do anything. Like it just, I need six months off before I'm going to feel like I'm myself again. And then go back into later another action stage but that takes such a toll. And I just love to help people find the way to change their relationship to their emotions and their nervous system so that they can work with it instead of against it, and then be able to move forward in kind of more of a regular rhythm for the impact that they want to have. And how I do that, did you want me to say specifics? <laughs> that would be lovely. I mean, because I'm very intrigued about that what you described with the, you know, you feel like you want to take action, then you feel like you're shutting down. So it's like you're describing being out mm -hmm. of your window of tolerance on right. either the hyper arousal or hypo arousal, but it, it can be so can overtake you. Yeah. So I love, I mean, 
I love a lot of Deb Dana's work. I love a lot of Kristen Neff's work. I mean, things around self-compassion, things around the nervous system. I mean, I draw from a lot of brilliant people that are doing amazing work and then integrating those pieces to help people change the relationship by first just kind of building a different relationship with their emotions. I do use a lot of metaphors too, but like if your, emotions, wrong with that. <laughs> if your emotion's not your enemy, if your emotion is actually trying to tell you something that's really helpful for you to know, you know, if our computer tells us we have a virus on it, like that's helpful to know so that we can do something differently. And same thing with our emotions. So for some people, it's really being able to recognize feelings. For some people, it's really tuning into the physiological sensations, what are, what's going on in your body. So I, I love experiential approaches. So I use a lot of felt sense. I've done training in EFT and emotional freedom techniques. So that's one of the things that I love for seeing what an impact it can have on people, even in the moment to kind of connect to what's feeling bad while at the same time immediately decreasing a lot of the intensity and feeling better and coming to different ways of looking at things. And I love also Deb Dina's nervous system ladder. So doing a lot of just helping people when I'm, this is when I'm working with people individually, really helping people to change that relationship by getting practice with how to listen for and tune in to what their body is telling them. And I think I've heard you talk before about, you know, some of the books, like the body keeps the score, things like that. And, you know, so I, I love everything that I can learn about neuroscience and making that really applicable to people's everyday lives. Running a group private practice has been a challenging and rewarding experience, and one thing that has made it so much easier is Therapy Notes. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. If you're coming from another EHR, like I did, Therapy Notes makes the transition incredibly easy, importing your demographic data free of charge so you can get going right away. My team has found Therapy Notes very easy to learn, it's intuitive, the customer support is second to none. And that's one of the things that has kept me a Therapy Notes customer for several years now. Anytime I've needed to contact Therapy Notes for help with an issue I couldn't figure out on my own, I've been able to get through to someone and resolve the issue within 15 minutes, 99% of the time. Find out what more than 100,000 mental health professionals already know. Try Therapy Notes for two months absolutely free. Just click on the link in the show notes or enter the promo code chat at therapynotes.com. Hey therapists, this is Laura Reagan. If you listen to this show regularly, you're hearing a lot about trauma and attachment, and you probably know these two underlying concerns are what drive most people to seek therapy regardless of how the symptoms present. The good news is trauma is becoming a buzzword, and that's great because more people are discovering there's a reason they feel the way they do, and now they can name what they need help with, but they need to find therapists who can help them. And that's where you come in. Join Trauma Therapist Network's therapist directory now at the founding member price of $33 a month. And you'll receive a beautiful listing that can function as a web page if you don't want to set up your own site or even if you have your own. And you can include links to videos of yourself, blog posts, and you're part of a community. Right now we have quarterly calls for all members. Our first one happened in October and it was lovely. 
Everyone said they really enjoyed it. But I'm adding more content that will begin to be available March 1st, 2022. And if you sign up for February 1st, you'll be locked in at the founding member price of $33 a month. February 1st, the price is going to go up to $97 a month to reflect the added value of these new offerings. And everybody who signs up as a founding member for $33 a month will get all that content beginning March 1st, as long as you keep your membership. I'm really excited about what's to come. We're going to have weekly live calls, four per month, and one will be a Q&A, one will be focused on self-care, one will be case consultation, and one will be training on a certain topic. Hurry on over to traumatherapistnetwork.com to sign up and become a founding member of this beautiful community of wonderful, passionate, and skilled trauma therapists. We need you. People who have trauma are out there looking for you, and they don't know how to discern that you specialize in trauma. So come on over to the Trauma Therapist Network and get listed. Join our community and this movement, traumatherapistnetwork.com. Yeah, because we all have a nervous system, no matter who you are, and it gets dysregulated, no matter who you are. But I understand now that it wants to, it's always seeking to get back to a state of, you know, wellness in some way. Yeah. And when we can, you know, thinking about the window of tolerance or the nervous system ladder, thinking about it, the more you can recognize the landmarks for, oh, you know, I suddenly seem to be in the land of sympathetic nervous system now, or, you know, I, for example, I get really clumsy when I'm in more of a nervous system sympathetic state. And so that can be one of the clues. Like if I notice I'm starting to drop things or trip over things or whatever, I'm like, okay, like, let me just slow down for a minute and figure out what's going on, what needs my attention here. And being intentional about it feels so much better because I feel so much more comfortable with my emotions, you know, even the really strong emotions, knowing that, you know, I can listen to them and work with them has been a game changer for me. And I see it being a game changer for so many clients time after time where they can make amazing decisions that are good for their life because they've been able to recognize the signs of being dysregulated and then get back to more of that calm, connected space where they can problem solve and they can think clearly and they can look at what they need differently. Yeah, that's so hopeful because, you know, things can be really discouraging sometimes. Yes, absolutely. And we don't have, I I don't know if other people would see this differently. Listeners can answer this for themselves, I guess. But in my experience, we don't have a ton of great models for healthy relationships to our emotions. We, you know, our parents often haven't had that, our grandparents, you know, our ancestors, like, you know, it's hard to develop a sense of trust and comfort with the uncomfortable parts of our feelings, if that's never been modeled or taught to us. And so it can, people can often be pretty exhausted by the process before, before they get a chance to 
say, oh, wait, you mean like this isn't totally trying to thwart my efforts or like drown me in overwhelm? Like if I slow down and feel this, it's not going to completely incapacitate me like that. That's hard to believe at first if you haven't had a chance to experience that. Yeah, it does feel like that. I know. I know for me, like there are certain things where it's like, you're afraid to feel something because you're afraid that if you feel it, you won't come back from it. You'll just, it'll swallow you up and that'll be it. <laughs> yes, for sure. You will be in the belly of the whale yeah. and you're never coming out again. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, I think it's interesting that a lot of the work you do is within the context of people in their work environment, because, you know, at work, especially in corporate settings, but Really, and you know, it's a general rule that at work, you're expected to just like, you're at work, this is business, do your work. It's not about being emotional. It's not about, you know, it's about efficiency. It's detached from emotion. It's like fast and effective. And, you know, I mean, even in the therapy world, our work is emotions, but we're on, you know, there's a tight time schedule, you know, our boundaries are supposed to be really solid, you know, there's get your notes done. There's always so many things that don't seem to account for the fact that your child was sick and you're worried about them at daycare, not knowing if they're going to feel okay, or if somebody's going to be kind to them, if they're, you know, if their stomach's upset or something like that. And that's like a tiny example. I mean, there are things that can have so much more weight than that living with racial violence and racism. And, um, you know, you go, you leave your house and you get to work and what happened in between that time. And then you show up and you're supposed to just be a professional and do your job and do it well. Then if you're struggling in some way, everyone's like, oh, you're struggling. Is this job right for you? Maybe you should, maybe you're not cut out for this, you know? Right. And that's even if they're willing to consider it's like struggling as a temporary, like you're struggling versus labeling you or stereotyping right. you in some more pervasive characterological way. And very true. And so, I mean, I'm totally with you on that. And for therapists or helping professionals too, where you, your job is showing up for other people again and again, and holding space for all of the emotions and experiences and hardships that they're going through. And again, trying to separate and set aside any of those things you mentioned, any of the parts of your identity, your experience that you're in the middle of coping with. It's hard. It's a big ask. And one of the things many therapists struggle with, and people have been talking about this throughout the pandemic, but it's, again, it's much beyond the pandemic that when our clients are distraught about something that's happening in the outside world, if we have a history with that, or if we're currently even more so, I think it's difficult if we're currently impacted by that thing. Easy example is a black therapist who's working with a black client and the client is talking about experiences of racism and the therapist is remembering and feeling everything of the their own experiences with racism. And then there's so many, you know, layers of other, as you've said, identities that, you know, the therapist could be feeling shame about their privilege to have had a different experience than their client or wanting to relate to the client and or feeling like the client's experience isn't as bad as what they've been through or just being distracted by their own feelings about the pain that they're witnessing and feeling inside of themselves. And 
you know, any form of abuse, oppression, violence done from one person to another, we can have these experiences. It's just like I'm hearing therapists just saying like, my capacity to hold space is really limited. Yes, I definitely am hearing that too. And, you know, I think we're seeing maybe this extension of compassion fatigue in the recent environment of, you know, compassion fatigue, I know has been around for a very long time. I know it was in my thesis (laughs) ages and ages ago, you know, but when we're looking at that sometimes our compassion fatigue really costs us our connection to our emotions, you know, that we just get so depleted by feeling so much without a space for that to heal or to go or to release that then kind of cutting off or disconnecting becomes the coping strategy, you know, becomes the way to survive. And yet then it cuts us off not only from our internal experiences, perhaps, but also from the very relationships and people and work and efforts that we really are wanting to have to make our life meaningful. And most people that I know are not in therapy for the money that they're making as a therapist. So, you know, when you're in a profession, because you cared so much and really wanted to be able to support others, and yet then you're so depleted that one of your main motivations for doing what you're doing is being compromised, then, I mean, I think we're looking at a big impact, like a big systemic impact on that level too, when our change makers, our caring professionals, our helping professionals are getting so worn out, so overloaded and not having the opportunities to really refuel, to keep going. Yeah. Do you have any suggestions for about that, about how people can make more, I don't know if it's making more space or just creating more opportunities for healing and recovery, but also it feels like connecting to more joy and play too. like those Mm -hmm. types of things seems to be an important aspect. I mean, I love where you're going with it already. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You can answer this for me, I think. And I think a lot of us, a lot of us therapists, a lot of us helping professionals know the answers, right? So I don't feel like I'm going to have some like, you know, you know, the heavens are going to open up and shower down a light on anything that I'm about to say. I also feel like it's somewhat individual. So, you know, I feel like we know we, we help other people with this. Sometimes it's just that tension of being able to take our own advice to some extent of doing the things that we know and see again and again, help for others. But because we're so busy often, maybe, you know, we might care for people all day and then we go home and care for more people, you know, whether it's aging parents or children or friends, you know, whether it's taking in the news and really caring and crying and feeling the grief of people suffering on the other side of the world, you know, that it's hard to get a break from that and not feel, perhaps I hear a lot of people feel guilty about it or feel like, well, I, how can I take a break? How can I do something for me that, that wouldn't be fair? Like people around me are needing me. They're relying on me. Like I can't afford to let up or else something that somebody who's depending on me is going to suffer for it. And so we get into that, almost that paradox where we feel like we can't do the things we know to do for ourselves because we're so busy doing for and helping for everybody else. 
And the flip side of that is that, yeah, if we could slow down and play, have fun, listen to or watch something for laughter, you know, get outside and connect to nature in some way. I know I, for me, it's if I can look at water or sky, you know, just being able to look at something that's so constant and so changing all the time and really connect to what is it looking like in this moment, using our senses, you know, there's something, even if it's something simple, like a glass of water, but really slowing down to notice it. And for me, it comes back, I'm kind of a broken record on this, but the relationship we have with our emotions and our nervous system, where they can tell us what we need, because there might be sometimes where what we need is, is quiet and calm and five minutes to breathe, you know, to, to calm down and recenter ourselves that can make a huge difference for the next hour or two, three, you know, even the rest of our day. And other times we might need like action. Like I really need to expend some energy here. And we don't know unless we're able to tune in and listen to what our body and our emotions are telling us. I also think, you know, sometimes if you can simplify things, like I know I'm somebody who tends to make things more complicated than they need to be quite often. And part of that is because I really do value and appreciate complexity and not oversimplifying things. At the same time, like sometimes it's okay to say, where can I take a load off? Like what doesn't need to be done? Or even on a cognitive load, like one of the things that I know people get stuck with is I want to always be able to respond in a moment where I see or hear something hateful or a microaggression or an injustice of some sort being said, but it's exhausting. Like it's such a heavy lift to come up with. What am I going to say this time? This time it's my boss. This time it's my neighbor. This time it's my parent. Like, you know, that a lot of times there's, there's, weight on the relationships where we're having those conversations and somebody who cares a lot about social justice we don't want to be complicit we don't want to just stay silent either and so you know I hear a lot of people like in that sense really getting either down on themselves for not having something more brilliant to say for not speaking up faster for feeling like you know, they attacked back, but it didn't really go anywhere. There was nothing effective that came out of the conversation. And, you know, that's something that I actually created a download for. And if, if anybody finds themselves relating to that experience, they're welcome to download that. But, you know, sometimes just looking for, is there a tool out there? Is there a way that I can make this a little bit easier on myself or feel a little bit more confident and prepared for some of the things that are weighing on me? That's a great suggestion with me, because if you hear a microaggression or hateful thing that someone says, that's likely to trigger something in you right away because you care about it. And when you, that gets activated, you can't really access your thinking so well. So having like a simple guide of things to something you can just pull out of your pocket. Literally, you're not pulling a piece of paper out of your pocket, but because you've already like looked at it and you're like, oh, I know what I can say here. Because I think what happens is we have, we try to address something. Sometimes someone will try to address something with someone in their family or a friend, and then it just becomes frustrating. The other person's not really getting it or they don't want to hear it. And then you feel like giving up. And you just want to distance yourself from that person. 
which maybe that might be the right thing to be would be to distance yourself from them if they're consistently this way and they have no desire to change. But that doesn't mean, you know, you have to feel disempowered and hopeless and helpless right? if you can stay centered. Yeah. And I mean, I do have a bias. I mean, I have a lot of biases, but one of my biases <laughs> is that we can't afford to cut everybody off that we disagree with every time. So while there are situations where a relationship is really unhealthy or toxic or like, you know, it's harmful to engage and a boundary is completely appropriate that if everybody who says something that we don't like or disagree with becomes somebody that we don't talk to anymore or don't talk to about that anymore, then our change making is really going to stall out because we really need to be bringing more people into the process and distributing the weight a little bit more widespread so that if everybody's having some conversations here and there that are effective, that we can move the needle more quickly. Yeah. And I think to that point, you know, there's the tension between who should be talking about this, you know, should white people talk about this or should white people defer to black and brown people to share about their experiences and teach about this. And, but then black and brown people are carrying the whole burden consistently mm -hmm. of doing the teaching and feeling all of the impact of it and becoming more and more exhausted. If it's not spread out among all of the people who are caring, the ones who are leading are going to, you know, it's unsustainable. Yeah, it's absolutely unsustainable. And I know, I mean, you brought up a point there that I think a lot of people do get concerned about. And it's good to be very conscious and aware of it. You know, am I speaking up and centering myself in a conversation at the expense of somebody else who has something to say or contribute here or wants to say something in this moment is a very different situation than, you know, this person is having to respond every single time. And, you know, they don't want to have to carry that load. Like they're sick of it. Where are the supposed allies, the, the people that say that they care about this? So I do think that knowing some things that you can say in those moments can help you to feel more comfortable and confident when they occur. And, you know, a lot of times, sometimes these meetings might be, you know, a public moment and in literally a corporate setting or something where it's in front of a bunch of people and who's going to respond. I think a lot of missed opportunities are in our day-to-day -day lives with the people that we have relationships with and are talking to already who are taking their news from different sources, perhaps, or hearing a very disproportionate amount of information from one perspective. And if we say like, oh, I just can't even like I'm done with it. If we all do that, then the cost is just too great. And so not everybody is going to be able to speak up all the time. But I think more of us feeling empowered that we have the tools to speak up more often and that we're taking care of ourselves so that we actually have the resources and are more likely to be in a state where we can speak up and can think clearly in that moment because we're not already so depleted. I think that's where those two pieces really go hand in hand. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense to me too. Oh, Rebecca, it's been really great talking with you. 
about this very important subject. And where can people find more of what you're offering and what you're doing? Well, certainly they can go to my website. That is RebeccaEPhD.com. That way people don't have to worry about knowing how to spell my last name correctly. (laughs) You just have to spell the first name. And there's also the download that I mentioned, the five ways to speak up. That would be a way to get that resource and some support around how to use it, as well as, you know, if you're interested, please stay on the list. And I send out just weekly support and encouragement and resources. And that one is RebeccaEPhD.com backslash five, the number five ways. That's for five ways to speak up. Okay. And certainly I'd love for people to connect with me on LinkedIn, send me a message, let me know any questions or anything that you really identified with or that spoke to you. I love to have conversations there as well. So people are welcome to message me on LinkedIn or connect with me there too. Wonderful. Thank you. And I will put links to your LinkedIn, your download and your website on the show notes, but I've really enjoyed talking with you and I'm grateful for what you're doing because you're supporting the people who are out there making change. And so you're making change in that way as well. I'm grateful for for you staying in the work and helping people stay in the work. Thank you. I mean, I'm so thankful to be doing the work that I'm doing. So it gives me as much back to it as I give, as I put in. Well, it was a pleasure talking with you on Therapy Chat today. I'm so grateful that you were my guest. Thanks, Laura. I'm grateful to be your guest and to be here and really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you to Therapy Notes for sponsoring this week's episode. I do love Therapy Notes. It's such an asset to my business and makes my job as a practice owner and a therapist much easier. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. Use coupon code CHAT or click the link in the show notes to get two free months at therapynotes.com. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, please visit therapychatpodcast.com. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today.